0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. This is uh, session two of season seven. Uh, Last time, we uh, were looking at the overall kind of the road ahead uh, uh, as we have reached. What we decided last time was the halfway point of of the first age. Um, So, um, and now we begin uh, uh, focusing uh, on the discussion of season seven in earnest here this evening. Um, uh, Welcome. I am joined, uh, as always, by uh, Nick Palazzo and Marie Prosser. And uh, uh, Dave Kale should be joining us uh, soon. We have uh, have some... uh, um, Reasons to believe that he'll be able to uh, join us as as soon as he gets free from kid duties. Um, This is one of the things, of course, that happens in a... Project like the Silmarillion film project, right? When I when we started the Silmarillion film project, uh, my younger son was about five, uh, and he's now fifteen and a sophomore in high school. Uh, and uh, by the time we get to the end of the first age, Wally will be, you know, nearing his high school graduation uh, and uh, and all that. So we just kind of like. Family life comes past and through and around us here, you know, as we as we all are growing older. Um, anyway, so Dave will be around when he can. Um, uh, so before we start, um, lots of fun coming up here in October and beyond. Uh, we have a bunch of moots coming up. Middle moot not, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend in Waterloo, Iowa. Uh, on the 14th of October. The next weekend on the 21st of October is going to be New England Moot here in Derry, New Hampshire. Bunch of others coming up. Denver in uh, November. Uh, New Orleans, which is a brand new uh, spot for us in December. Uh, Osmoot down in Sydney, Australia at the end of January. Love the logo for that, above all shadows. Uh, Osmoot 2024. Uh, And then Sunshine Moot in February, and we have a bunch more coming up in the spring, actually. We've got like a whole bunch of moots jockeying for a position in uh, March and April and May. So um, there'll there'll be more opportunities to come here. One other thing I would mention in October here, um, at the end of October, on October 28th, is going to be our fall space showcase. So um, we're going to have a day where we're going to have a whole bunch of what we call space capsules. Our space program, of course, is our adult continuing education class. It's um, like the most, uh, reputable form of recreation that I know where you can learn about awesome, fun things, um, that you, you know, love to study about and talk about and learn about, um, you know, whether you're learning things that you've always wanted to learn like a language or something that you've never had the chance to, um, or whether you're immersing yourself in discussion on things that you love, um, uh, like anime or Old English literature or fantasy uh, literature and uh, and films, whatever it may be. Um, so uh, you can see... Uh, so the space showcase on the 28th will be an opportunity to sort of see, like get little mini features, get a, get a taste for the different space modules that are coming up, including, rumor has it, um, there's going to be a, a, a space capsule by... Uh, the great Amy Sturgis, who is coming and beginning teaching in our space program um, uh, in, uh, in in the beginning of the new year. So um, lots of fun stuff coming up there. So that'll be on February 28th. You can get more information there uh, from our website and social media announcements as we get closer to that. But let us return to Season 7. So we want to start with theme, right? We want to, we want to think about... Um, do we want to think first about theme or shape? Like we can think about the overall kind of structure of season seven and what we're going to cover. Um, do you guys have inspirations for um, what the, so I, I, I really love, Marie put together this sort of review uh, for us of, of what we were focusing on in the first six seasons, which I think is great. So we had um, the season one and season two were essentially like, what is the purpose of the Valar? Like, are they here to rule and dominate or are they, you know, or, or are they like, you know, and so that the, the, that that question of like, what do they do? You know, Melkor and Manway's very different visions, right, about what the Valar were for and what they were, how they were supposed to be interacting with the world. Season two um, when was when the elves awoke. And so the the whole focus of that season was where is the home of the elves? Are they, are you know, are is, is is Middle Earth where the destiny of the elves lie, or is it in the West that the that the, the the destiny of the elves lay? Um, season three was focused on rebellion. Um, that was, of course, the Feanor season, which begins with the kin slaying and um, uh, took us through to the death of Feanor and the rising of the sun at the end. Reconciliation um, as we were settling in, right? And we had the tension between the uh, the different elements of the Noldor, right? The Fanorians and the non-Fanorians among the Noldor and the Sindar and Thingol, right? And all that, um, all that stuff. And that included, right. It was in season four that we got the Thingol finds out about the kinslaying and right. So yes. all of those tensions. And of course the culmination of that season was the, uh, wedding of, um, Galadriel and Celeborn. So that was kind of the culmination, uh, reconciliation. Um, that was a really fun, um, Uh, A really fun sort of focus in that season. Season five is about change. How with the rising of the sun... Things be, you know, that stuff changes and change begins to accelerate uh, in Middle Earth, and of course that was also the season when we introduced humans. So the idea of mortality and change and how the elves were having to cope with that was the the sort of the overarching focus. And then of course last season, season seven, release from bondage, L- Lathian, the, the 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 release from bondage, and what that means, um, that the kind of liberation and how it's an obvious motif throughout the Baron and Luthien story, but what is it pointing to, right? What is it, what is it sort of, you know, what's the, what do all those jailbreaks <laughs> in the story pointing to ultimately, right? Um, culminating in the uh, transactions in and with Mandos, right? Um, at the end. So, um, so that's, these themes have not necessarily been, I mean, thus far, they've been, they've been fairly organic. Um, and of course, you know, many of them based on, you know, most of them based on, you know, various sort of interests of the texts and the stories that we're covering here. Um so, you know, obviously, the goal is not to just kind of pick something that we want to focus on and, you know, build the stories around it, but to sort of see what direction the story seem to be pointing because if we can identify some kind of central theme or motif, it helps to guide our own decision making so, so that we can, fo- we can so that the story as we're retelling it um within the context of film, film can be uh, uh you know, have that clearer uh, uh, consistency um, as we move through. So, do you want to think theme, or should we think structure first? Do you want to review what happens first before
1: we do that? Reviewing what happens is probably not a terrible idea.
2: Okay, Sure, because I, I think that one difference between this season and the one we just finished is that there was one very clear story yes. through the last season. There weren't, yes. I mean, there were subplots, but they weren't really very well developed. So the theme was just exploring our main Mm storyline for this season, whatever we choose as a theme is going to determine what some of the side stories are going to be about and be like. So if we have a broad overview of what stories we know need to be there, then choose a theme and then get into details of how that would look in other storylines. I think that might be a a successful way of doing this.
0: Yeah. It's going to be a little uh, more synthetic like reconciliation rebellion and, cha- mm-hmm. and change. Right. Uh, we need to
2: interweave some things that have nothing to do with each other.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh. Okay. So. Um, what
2: needs to happen?
0: What needs to happen? Do we have a slide for one? Okay. Yeah, we do. We, the next Storylines. Okay. <laughs> so we've already decided in last week, we were saying that the, the clear, um, another thing that we've often done is have a, a sort of a central character who isn't necessarily, you know, the focus of the story all the way through, but is a sort of a dominant figure who um, to whom we keep returning um, and the shape of whose story really forms the sort of the spine of the whole story of the season um, and it, it would seemed perfectly obvious that Huron is the is the obvious candidate for that role uh, in this season as we know the 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 things that we definitely know we want to begin with Hurin and Huar being taken to Gondolin, um, you know, to sort of begin the framing of the story that's going to end in the Nirnaeth Arnoediad, And then, of course, we're going to end at the Fens of Sarek. Well, I say, of course, one of the decisions we were discussing last time was were we going to end at the Fens of Serech, with Hurin being Captured and dragged off, or were we going to end with like Hurin before Morgoth and Morgoth cursing Hurin? And we decided not to do the latter because we decided that that's really the beginning of the Turin story rather than the end of the H- of the of the Hurin story. Um, that really, day shall come again is is sort of the ending of the of the Hurin and Huor story. Um, so we're definitely going to end at the Fens of Sarek, uh at the end of the final episode. Um, so. Um, so again, we're starting with Hurin and who <laughs> are Hurin and who are in Gondolin, and we're ending with Hurin and who are at the Fens of Cirak. So um, they are the obvious sort of frame of that. Um, but let's pause for a second. Um, between those endpoints, what are we doing? So they're going to return from Gondolin. Hurin, uh, Galdor is going to die relatively early on, right? And so we're going to get a really comparatively young Hurin. Um, Taking over as king in Dor Loman and his role. It's one of the things I always found. Um, I remember at a very early age being struck by the way in which, like, Fingen uh, seems to defer to Hurin, um, in the, in the Nirnaith, right? When they're, you know, like th- there's, there's just that one line, I think, where it says like, you know, but Hurin counseled against it. Right. Um, and Fingon goes along with him. Right. So it's, it's clear, like the kind of respect that he gains from, uh, the, you know, the elven lords as well as, you know, his own people. Um, clearly there needs to be some sort of story there. Right. Kind of, uh, some middle to the story of Hurin and Huor, which begins in Gondolin and ends in the Fens of Sarek. Um, and that seems to be about Hurin's coming to his position and um, uh, what? Like, what his vision for the people is? Uh, something yes. like
2: that, right? Because again, this depends what we do with the theme here, but He's asking to leave Gondolin because he wants to have a chance to be part of the fight. Yeah. And then yeah. he goes home and almost immediately becomes Lord of Darloman. Yeah. So we have to assume that his position is then used to say, hey, Fingon, when are we going to fight Morgoth?
0: <laughs> right. Like, right.
2: There has to be some urgency on it's his part time. Turn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he wants to do this now, not later, mm-hmm. and
1: it of course ends extremely well
2: for him. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But we've also seen Hador, whose story ended as an old man who couldn't fight anymore. Yes, and Hurin mm-hmm. doesn't want that for himself. Right. So he's choosing. The I want the life where we go all in to fight Morgoth. Now, obviously, we can get a lot more nuance to that story. But that sense of urgency is probably going to follow through the season with him helping to orchestrate the Union of Mithras. Like, obviously, Fingon's on board. So is Hurin simply supporting Fingon? Probably not. Like, this is probably, at least in some ways, Hurin's movement as well.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I agree. And of course, another thing that needs to get factored in there is Morwin as well. I mean, I think about Morwin and her reputation in um, uh, later, right? And the only part of her story that was actually told, right? That is, you know, the early part of the Turin story after Horne's death. Um, And the sort of, you know, atmosphere of, you know, like the whole... Like ethos of Morwin, right, and the reputation that she gains and stuff. Um, The opportunity to show, like, what was that like during Hurin's reign? Like, what was Morwin like during Hurin? What was their partnership like? Um, Morwin is one of the like strongest really minor characters <laughs> in, in tolkien's work you know it's, if, if you see what I mean like she actually does and says very little in the in the stories that we have of her um or at least it feels very disproportionate to she feels like a very very much larger than life um you know kind of big character and yet we never really get her doing much or or saying much and so establishing Morwen and Hurin and Morwen's relationship seems really important there in the middle.
2: In... Yeah, and not even the middle, like early. Early too, yeah. Because they're going to get married probably even before he becomes Lord of Dorlemont. So, like, right away he comes back, marries her, and takes over for his dad. I mean, we can discuss the order, but it's going to be right up front. So she'll yeah. be his partner through the whole mm-hmm. season.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it would be really interesting if you know, like, he comes back from Gondolin and she kind of dismisses him as a fop, <laughs> a little bit, right? Right. And dressed like, all fancy, but, <laughs> right? Right. But yeah. he's like so driven, like because this this man is singularly driven. Like that, he yeah. he leaves the most wonderful place he could possibly be. Yeah. Um, to go and. And go and live back in the dirt with the rest of us,
0: <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Hurin's character is not fleshed out very much more than Morwin's character in the written, you know, in the published text uh, of Tolkien. So, but there um, is
1: a lot of subtext that, like, there there's is a lot there that is. you can yeah. be like, okay, but he he is this way though like yes. there's a lot you can glean and, and more one as well there's a, so much you can pull mm-hmm. out of the very very little that we're given and which and yeah
2: the, the two of them are more fleshed out than who are, are Rion
1: for sure so th-
2: we're gonna have to have a lot of conversations about what direction we want these characters to go in and who they are as people because yeah. it is true that there's so little in the text you can easily read the story and develop a certain idea of who the, who they are. Yeah. That's yeah. radically different from someone else's. No, you're you know, right.
0: I mean, it's, it's there are uh, relatively few fixed points. Like there are some fixed yeah. points, you know. Right. But, and so um, like yeah.
2: her and being relentless. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 100% give you that one. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, Morwen being proud and strong for sure. <laughs> yeah. But what does that look like and what do they see in each other and how does their story progress forward and, and everything that's, that's going to take some developing, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And of course, like how to do that, like what happens (laughs) right in the middle in order to bring, you know? uh, Yeah. Right.
2: Well, they do have three kids, so we can kind of time the story out based on that. Um, Yeah. But uh, the, tragedy of the death of Lilith is probably mm-hmm. going to be part of a bigger story Yep, because the plague that she dies in likely affects all of the people of Dor Loman yes. and um, is a precursor to the Nernite. So it's that's going to likely be a fairly pivotal yeah, plot mm. point as well as an important character moment for, for their family. How yeah how
0: much how much are we going to want to get into because okay so one of the there is a lot of um, complex interweaving of Dora Loman and Brethel and you know their lines and the families and the double first cousins because of the the double wedding and everything else like how much are we going to want to bring Brethel and like Brethel well, politics, which I don't—I don't mean that shallowly, right? But like, how how no, much it is the story of Brethel going to be a part of this yeah. as well? Are we, we going to spend time in Brethel? Like, our narrative I,
2: spend time in Brethel? I think so, although not necessarily a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who takes part in the Nernith, anyone who joins the right. battle, we need we their need story. How yeah. they get there? Yeah. So Brethel is going to send fighters. Right. The 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 Lord of Brethel's going to die in the Nernith. Yeah. and. Yeah. Um, Floradel, his wife is the sister of Galdor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I looked at this family tree. I promise. But, um, oh man, I get
0: so confused with this. Uh, like, it's yeah, one of my but, goals by the end of season seven to like finally have all this stuff straight. Yeah, yeah.
2: So we, we're going to talk about these characters a lot. We'll figure it out. Yeah, but yeah, and so she's going to die as in the same year as the Nornite as well when her husband mm-hmm. dies. But their son is. Handir?
0: Handir, which right? is Brandir's or father, is it, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. Or Haldir. Anyway, whatever his name is, it's it's <laughs> Brandeir's father. You, you it's know for that, sure, uh, Brandir's father.
1: You know that their their line is starting to slide down off the off the hill when they start abandoning the Hal designation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But yeah. anyway, no, no, no. He is between the ages of Heron and Hur. Right. so he's okay. and those the brothers are only three years apart, so he's right. At their age. He's and, the they one, were, isn't and they were. Is he
0: the one who originally, like before Huar got invented, was the one who was taken to Gondolin with, or ends up in Gondolin, like in the first draft? I, I don't I, recall. I, 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 I think it possibly. was. Possibly. Yeah. Because he, yeah. he
2: exists as in the same place in the same time. He's their yeah. age. He's yeah. with them because they're being raised in Brethel, right? So, as much as Hearn and Huar are clearly this duo, he's the third guy. Yeah. So whatever the story of how Brethel gets involved in the Nairnith is, I think it's gonna at least include some kind of relationship between um <laughs> is it Hunter or Eldir? Anyway, him and uh Hern and Huar. So yeah. then that'll set up, of course, Turin's later relationship with Brandir, which is, you know, yeah. less friendly. Less so
1: friendly. One thing that's occurring to me is the juxtaposition um between the kind of the theme that's presented through Horin and Huor and the theme that's presented through Mythros because the theme of the Horin and Huor story in 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 as much as it relates to the near knight is i have faith that this is going to work out yep even if i ultimately don't get to reap the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, am not the final instrument yeah. of yeah. that. Whereas my is all about the, I have to get this done. I'm the mm-hmm. guy. Nobody else is going to do this. If, if I do not do this, no one will. Right. right? Um
2: there's a reason it's called the union of mithras right. and not the union of fingen or the union right. of her like yeah,
1: yeah. well gets, that feels a little bit want... clever clever branding on the part of fingen <laughs> given how fingen's like yeah. press team given how exactly. things go
2: but yeah. no but it the is. point is it's it's definitely my plan and idea yeah. the reason he needs fingen is there's absolutely no way that Mithras can pull this off
1: mm. and
2: after the Fanorians have done what they've done in recent years right he just does not have the ability to create that union yeah he needs thinking
1: yeah well but the the th- i remember when i first read the story i felt very strongly this sense that i was being told that Mithros is failing because we just cannot defeat evil on our own. Mm. You know that that until the time comes for Providence to step in and do something, the we're fighting the well, long defeat, and yeah. Mytheros still hasn't picked up Figured on that, that, that fact yet. Right, he hasn't but, conceded that.
2: That's because right. the pers- the narrative voice of the Silmarillion is somebody who knows how the first age ends. So, so there's a right. lot of looking back in hindsight, this was never going to work. But oh, sure. that's obviously not what the characters who are living through it think. Like, I don't think they're all defeatists and are like, we're just going to fight because it's the right thing mm. to do. It doesn't matter if we all die. Like, They, don't, they honestly think they could win.
1: Yeah, but I think so, that Hurin comes to a realization... That the
2: whole day shall come again means that he figures out. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and, and his, you know, he essentially is telling Turin, like, go. Like, uh, like I, we're, we've lost. We have lost right. this battle. I'm going to die real quick, if that's okay with you. Um,
2: but Turgan yeah. needs to live. Yes. And escape. Yeah. And obviously Huar has the prophetic... Uh, awareness that <laughs> from you and from me, and star right, shall yes. arise. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, but- I, I think that we we do see that there is definite hope in their final defeat. There, they're not going into that defeat thinking it's all over. They're going into that defeat going, we are fighting to protect. Yes. The hope of Valerian
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and and maybe Hurin could kind of start out where rose is. He could kind of start out with the look i'm the guy like you know like we're like because he kind of brings the human contingent together right um because now the um the people of the house of bayor have or, or a large contingent of them have been dropped into his lap you know he has a relationship with the people uh, with the Haladin, and so he is kind of the linchpin that brings all that together yep. in the way that Mytheros is trying to do for, uh, for the elves. Um,
0: yes. So, okay. Um, backing up a second. Uh, I, uh, uh, who is it? GD Tarian has mm. uh, made a couple points. I wanted to mention um, one is, Before we just pass on from it, we don't have to talk about this more now. There'll be more to work out later on with this. But absolutely agree about how important it's going to be to make Huor a real character of Mm. his own. Because, again, we know almost nothing about Huor's personality. Húrin is almost always the speaker, right, between the two of them. Um, uh, Huor... I mean, how many lines does Huar get other than from you and from me a new star <laughs> shall arise, right? Like there's does he ever even talk before that moment? Like not much in any case, right? But um
2: Well, he's he's three years younger than his brother, so like when they're in Gondolin, he's oh. the little brother. Yeah. Um I agree about him being a real character and not just let's figure out what Hearn's doing and then Huar will be the other voice in the room saying right, whatever right, we need him to say. Sidekick, I don't want yeah. that. Um yeah. And I, on the message boards, people were discussing what we could do with him and suggested that if Huron was about endurance and was like rock, then Huar would be about fluidity. And so he'd be water. And mm. that would obviously tie with the whole Olmo situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it yeah. might be a nice contrast that they're different temperaments and personalities but similar in goals and ambitions so mm-hmm. that it's not like they're just somehow foils of each other right
0: yep yep yeah so. no it'll be interesting to 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 see that yeah. you be thinking i mean yeah as you said like it's it's impossible see and, and I, I would acknowledge that there's a chance that somebody could complain and say Okay, but we're still not considering who were on his own. We're still considering him just like a vehicle towards Toor, you know, and Arendo after him. But that's that's okay. Like it's it's he's not going to be the central figure, right? It's not like mm-hmm. we're telling his whole story, and we do want to differentiate him. We do want to come to know him more as a character. But it is also true that his primary significance, like his his the two things that are going to be important about his character, are going to be that he is going to be like his brother's right hand, and he is going to be the you know the father of his destined son, the father and grandfather, uh, you know, of mm-hmm. the destined people of whom he is the father and grandfather. Like those are his yeah. two really important contributions to the story. So we're obviously not going to hide from that, but, but yeah, I think it's going to be really fun to be thinking about who are, um, in some ways I feel like actually this season <clears throat> gives us something we, we haven't had really, I mean, we, we did this some in season five with, um, kind of, fleshing out human characters, right? But there, even there, we were more limited, more focused more limitedly. Andreth was our central figure, and there were some others around her whom we got to know a little bit more. Um, we got to know some of, you know, Baron and Barahir's band, Um you know, in that season and at the beginning of of season six, um, but of course not for very long. And then it's just barren, right, for the rest of the time. This is really going to be, and we again, so we we got some stuff with hot oil, right, but. But this is really going to be the first time we're going to have like a whole cast of human characters, all of whom are going to you know we're Hurin and Morwin and Huor and Rion and their parents and their cousins and the people of Breath, you know, in the, the family in Breatho, and I. That's, it's not like we're going to spend equal time with everybody, but we're really going to be getting to know the whole group of them in ways that we've never really done before, and that's going to be interesting.
2: Yeah, and the reason for that is timeline. This season's going to take place well, after the gondolin bit, which will take some time. Once they return from gondolin, it's gonna be nine years to the night. So the whole season will be well, twelve of the thirteen episodes of the season will be in nine years. So the humans will stick with us the whole time. Right. But no one's gonna be Aging. Aging out of the story. Before we get to the end of the season. And that's the difference between season five and now. And the Baron and Luthien story is the turning point. Because from here on, that'll be true of all of our human characters. All of our mortal characters can stick around for a full season. I mean, unless they die for other reasons. more. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of them are not going to (laughs) last...
0: Very long. No, but something like tour but... is going to be around for like three seasons or something.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we'll be able to to spend time with human characters now the same way we spent time with elves, whereas mm-hmm. in the past we couldn't do that because they were <laughs> aging out.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That so it, that I think is going to be it's it's fun just to kind of um, I don't know sort of like acknowledge uh, just to kind of take a second to kind of wrap my brain around the implications of that kind of, of that kind of shift. Cause it is, um, it is very different. Um, so going back to the union of Mithras, then um, the, the link of course, that the narrator makes um, as, uh, um, as Steve was just pointing out is mm-hmm. that <clears throat> it, it's, it's all inspired by Baron and Luthien, right? The story of Baron and Luthien, which, you know, Gets Fanorians like Kelgorm and Kurafin saying things like, they've got a Silmaril, we've got to go after him, right? And they're mm-hmm. grumbling and grudging about the Silmaril. Myros takes this in a completely different direction, right? Mythros says, mm-hmm. hey, look, um, after the Dagor Bragalach, it looks pretty grim. Right. The union that uh, the, I mean, this was a question that G.T. Taurian was asking. We just had in season five, Fingolfin trying to bring together a union of forces to attack. Um, uh, and it was a complete catastrophe. Right. Like it didn't even. It didn't
2: get off the ground.
0: It didn't get off the ground. It did ground, exactly. it didn't happen. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't even happen. Yeah. Um, uh, it was like preemptively destroyed, and they've not gotten stronger since then, have they? I mean, at least this doesn't look like it. Um,
2: um, there's a lot more humans now, there are a lot more humans now, yeah, yeah, if not from the birth rate, from the emigration situation, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and um, yes, okay, so anyway, but but anyway, the, the point is what. GT Taurian was pointing out, which I think is exactly correct. We have to make sure that at the beginning of the season, it doesn't look like, well, let's try again. You yeah. know, um, yeah. surely it can't go as badly as last time. Like, and 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 of course, what the narrative gives us is that the turning point, the diff- how the people on the ground see the difference between now and the previous one, is Baron and Luthien, right? That they feel right. that. D- do we think, by the way, that this means? Because thinking this through a little bit, right? So what? Baron and Luthien took a Silmaril from Morgoth. I mean, awesome. But so what? Like, what? We're Maedhros, right? What conclusions exactly are we drawing from that? Are we saying so? This proves that, like, yeah, Fingolfin wanted to attack, didn't seem like an awesome idea, wasn't super enthusiastic about at the time, and we never got the chance anyway. But you know what? Maybe Fingolfin was onto something. Maybe if we can actually pull it off, um, because Baron and Luthien have proven, like, he can be beaten. That's a strange conclusion, I have to say, on its own. Because, like, what but the Baron and Luthien story absolutely does not demonstrate is, like, military weakness of Thangarodrim right like no. that that is not a, a sensible lesson today like um, because they didn't storm it right I mean that, at the yeah.
1: very least security could could use a little beefing up there
0: <laughs> right so maybe um, you could send a spy in I mean like, yeah. that's but a good there's... reason to try to like a jailbreak or something but that's not a that's not a good reason to say therefore an invasion he's totally vulnerable to invasion like is he maybe yeah. but uh, you know
2: well. I think that there's a few more things in the picture. I mean, obviously the news that Baron and Luthien stole a Silmaril is the talk of Beleriand. Yeah. 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 But Myrdros turned down Fingolfin's offer when it was on the table and then lived through the Dagor lock Right. So he's seen the, well, let's just wait till Morgoth attacks <laughs> approach. And that didn't go great for them. <laughs> right. And, Fingolfin followed it up with a one-on-one duel, and Mithras had to be thinking, like, I, I, we could have done something differently here, right? Yeah, yeah. So Let's I done think, <laughs> right. So I think that it's not just, wow, isn't it cool that they stole a Silmaril? But it's also, what lessons have we learned from the Dagor Bragollach? Mm-hmm. And one mm-hmm. of them was, waiting until Morgoth chooses the time to attack is not going to go well for us. Maybe we should choose the time.
0: Right. Right. So so here's my other question. Does Mytheros or any of them suggest... So one possible conclusion you could draw from the Baron and Luthien story is, hey, Morgoth is slipping. Morgoth is weakening. He's lesser Mm -hmm. than he was before, which, of course, is actually true, in fact. Right. Yeah. But if you put it together, right. A. Fingolfin. Yeah. I mean, he killed Fingolfin, but like Fingolfin was a handful for him, right, right, one on one, yeah. Fingolfin wounded him, right. The dude yeah. limps now, right. Like his, like Fingolfin wounded him, and then Luthien goes and steals his lunch, right. I mean, like so, like this guy yep. is not. So I, I, I'm thinking of the phrase in the text, right, like that Morgoth was not. Right, unassailable. It's not unassailable, and I don't think yeah. that that can mean from a military standpoint, right? Because it's to, hmm. add, to apply that militarily doesn't make sense. But to say that Morgoth himself, like. This is not... This, this is an opponent that, who maybe is more... Has come down to be more within our reach than we think. We remember him from Valinor. Some of us do, right? right?
1: But you know what? When he, when he absolutely steamrolled Fenway.
0: Yeah, exactly. You right. know, but maybe... You know what? Like, that. our memories of Morgoth... And even the things that we saw when we arrived back in season three are outdated. Like that's antiquated information. Now the recent information suggests that is the duel with Fingolfin and the theft by Baron and Luthien suggests. I mean, look, if Luthien could take him solo, if Fingolfin could hurt him and Luthien could subdue him, come on, if we all get together, we can make this happen, right? We, we can make this work. I think that, you know, so the weakness of Morgoth himself, personal weakness would seem to be a big part of the argument.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's so to kind of break down like what's changed tactically speaking mm-hmm. um because it's made very, very clear in the text that but for the um the treachery of the easterlings, they still would have they at least the narrator seems convinced right. that they could have won they could have won yeah um and so for for whatever reason. The narrator at least thinks that the that the plan is solid, yes. yeah. So that means that a Maedhros has been counting heads. Um, there's an important change in the strategic situation um, since the Dagor Bragollach, and that's that Morgoth's forces are no longer hold up in Angband. Yes, right. They are yes. spread out and occupying a a large portion of yeah. the of yeah. the land now, which means that they can be cut up and dealt with. And in fact, that's exactly what happens. Yes. Um, so then, I mean, I don't know why nobody thinks to bring along siege equipment. That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, and I'm not sure. I prefer I wanted... to
0: think we just don't mention the siege equipment
1: in the narrative. It, it, like but... it, it, the fact that the narrative goes out of the way. Like, what was their plan? Like why yeah. they just run up and beat on the doors like, oh yeah, this is totally going to work. It's but totally going to work. Yeah. The the importance of the of the two things that you've mentioned: Fingolfin's wounding of Morgoth and luthien's subduing of him i think that maedros is counting not only on the fact that morgoth is weakened but that everybody knows it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that Mm -hmm. it's a it's a psychological tool in their arsenal now that they didn't have before even if maedros thought that they could have taken physically taken down morgoth which is now very clear that they can yes now everybody knows that Morgoth's forces know it. Um, the, the, all of the elves know it. The men know it. Everybody knows it. And so that, that changes the landscape of the morale for his side and for their opposition. In addition, Morgoth has lost... Like, they have to know... They may not know that it was Sauron at um, at Tulsirion. But mm-hmm. they have to know that there was a major lieutenant of Morgoth's there who was defeated and, and possibly lost to him. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody knows that Dragluin is dead. Right. You know, like, they, they, every, uh, everybody probably knows... Yeah, everybody knows that Thorn Gwethil is dead. There's this sh- huge hole in... Morgoth's, you know, like a crime syndicate organization. Right.
0: He still so has the speak. dragon and he still and has the Balrogs, but that's it. Right.
1: Right.
2: I mean, that but counts Mithros, for something. It's a lot. Yeah. It's still a lot. But, yeah. yeah exactly.
1: But Mithros has reason to suspect that the dragon cannot be counted upon. Right. To to, to follow orders and to do the strategically responsible thing. Uh, because he knows he's. Nobody's he didn't. more
0: familiar with the dragon than the Fanorians.
2: Right um so it's like yes he's very dangerous and you don't want to ignore live dragons in your battle plan but at the same right. time
1: we could more, probably
2: deal with him right morgoth can't count on him to effectively engage either he's in not fact, a strategist he's not a battle he, strategist yeah right
1: and, and in fact one pinprick and he's out he which is what happens. immediately he just, he, right he pieces out of the battle that's what i and mean get
0: stabbed yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. exactly
1: yeah. Um, um and yet does Morgoth um, have more dragons
0: i there's no evidence that there are more dragons until later on. I don't is is it no were there dragons does it uh, it's it's in that the that Winnie empties uh mm-hmm. they're included in the list Winnie empties any yeah. band right
2: yeah we need dragons now, and we're gonna need them for the fall up Gondolin so i don't think well, they're going to be for the new Gondolin, for sure yeah but they're not going to be new for that they're going to be no new but for they're this. probably dragons yeah they're the probably still Glaur. baby
1: dragons yeah. at yeah. this point they are
2: that, yeah.
1: they are season four Glaurung.
2: Dragons. exactly that's what i was just right. thinking yeah 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 mm-hmm. so yeah they're uh, there maybe but even maybe not than that. yeah but multiple baby dragons suggest that you're about to have an army of Full size dragons, which is an argument in favor of the can we attack now, please sooner rather than later. Yes, yeah, yes. Like, don't wait for all those dragons to grow up. Well, I (laughs) I
1: think that he, again, you know, he can be counting heads and being like, okay, there is never going to be a better time than right now.
2: Yes. Yep. So I think that Myrros's approach to the whole thing is a bit on the practical side. Mm -hmm. He is being forced a bit by circumstances. It's not like he just sat down one day and was like, Hey, you know what would be great. Let's go attack Morgoth, right? Like there's right. there's it was reasons. more of a
1: yeah. It was more of a I don't want to attack Doriath. <laughs> that clearly seems like a terrible thing to do. Right. Right. Can this other thing work? Can
0: I point my brothers <laughs> right. in a different direction? Yes. Exactly.
2: Okay. And he can use that to get Fingan on board. Mm. Like, look, help me attack Morgoth.
1: Help me help you.
2: (laughs) Because if you don't, you do realize what's going to happen next, right? right? Like, he doesn't have to threaten to attack Doria, Right. But he can at least hint that that is indeed what would happen, you know. So I'm not saying he would do that to Fingon. They're good buddies. They can come to an understanding. And that's the other thing,
0: of course, that I think is going to be really fun is that um, it's been a long time since we've really remember had cause to remember that Mithros and Fingen are really close, right? And mm-hmm. so for uh, to have this season also be about the refreshing of their friendship, you know, the renewal mm-hmm. of their friendship, and um, you know, they're working together. Um, that's certainly a nice little sort of perk to the, to the mm. storylines here. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. The other thing I was going to add, um, Nick, about the tactical situation, um, it's interesting how, if you think about the tra- the overall trajectory, right, you think about the pre dagor uh you know, um, uh, leaguer, that's the word I was looking for, leaguer of, of, of Angband, right, um, situation on the one hand, and you look at the post-Nirnith, near almost all of Beleriand overrun by orcs and, you know, only a few islands of peace left while everyone else is, uh, is oppressed and overrun. We're right in between those two states here, right? On the one hand, yes, like the orcs are running are rampaging over huge portions of Beleriand since Tulsirian fell. Right. Um, It's not reached the stage that it will even under Glaurung when Glaurung is in Nargothrond. Right. But still it's, it's, and Dorthonian is completely overrun. Right. So there are a lot of orcs, but the, a lot of them are not in Angband. Right. But more importantly, they don't have real leaders Right? They don't have a strategist. So, Dorthonian could be crawling with orcs. And if you're the Feanorian armies, right? You're going to march across and towards the enemy. Are you worried? Like, there may be thousands of orcs
1: yeah in Dorthonia.
0: are you worried about that no what what are they gonna do? They've got no generals are they gonna attack you from behind what well, who's leading them right who's right. who's who's doing that there's no with Sauron gone there's nobody left anymore there's 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 gothmog and there's um uh and there's there's Glaurung. right but neither one of them is gonna go gather up together and rally the rest of his armies so he is left. Um, if they can just cut straight across, like they can from where they're positioned, um, where myguin and uh, not Maeglin, where Mithros and, uh, and 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 Fingon, uh, combining their names disastrously into myguin, um, uh, are both uh, are both positioned, they can just go straight to Thangarodrim, right between the two of them, and ignore. All of the, you know, and then once they've, you know, thrown down Thangarodrim, they can hunt down the rest of the orcs, you know, uh, at their leisure in the, in the subsequent centuries, right? Um, but it does, the, the, in this way, the argument could be made that the very victory of Morgoth earlier on in the Dagor Bragalak has served to weaken his position militarily. <laughs> Especially when compounded by the loss of Sauron. Yeah. Who, right. Who was always Wait. the brains of the operation when it came to, you know,
2: planning. Yeah, getting things done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think we have to worry about it being Fingolfin's plan take two. Right. right. Like I I think there's enough stuff for the characters to discuss about why they think now is the time.
0: Yep. Um, absolutely. And the armies of the Easterlings have to be
1: huge. Yes. Mm, yes. Right. Yeah. Huge. Because they have to completely destroy any hope they have of of making this battle turn out.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically, they have to be a game changer either way. Yes. Essentially. I mean, like, because he has the, he believes he has the alliance of the Easterlings, Mithros thinks they have an enormous edge that they didn't have before. But the armies of the Easterlings also have to be big enough to actually threaten and overthrow the Feanorians. Of, for you know, for crying out loud, well, the Feanorian army. Even though, I mean, attacking from behind, still there have to be. They have to outnumber the Feanorians significantly, like three to one or five to one, in order yeah. to be any kind of a real threat to the Feanorian army.
2: Um, Especially since they don't all turn traitor. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be the whole it's not gonna contingency be the whole of Easterlings, yeah. so yeah. yeah, I I agree that it has to be a pretty overwhelming force, and then Gondolin has an overwhelming force as well. So those two armies are the East, both Easterling armies and Gondolin. Yeah, okay, those three armies yeah. are the are the biggest armies on the field. I would assume. Yeah.
1: Um, well, there's what There's ten thousand from Gondolin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, not actually, that the, that sounds like an enormously the number. precise
0: number <laughs> I no, would have no. but yeah, well, but that's yes, fair. Yes, um, though I would say there, it's not about. With them also, it's sort of less about the numbers. That I mean, mm. the numbers aren't the important;
2: more, they're there at all,
0: right? They're, they're, and and yeah, so like, what it means, like, for the morale of the people, yeah. but um, they are not merely numerous; like, they are enormous. Like that.
2: They're the well equipped in their elves. Of,
0: they're well equipped. <laughs> they're well equipped. Right? right.
1: Well, that's um, that's my my in, in my head. They've always when they show up, they have the best, um, the best armor and weapons that they could met because they've had nothing to do but practice this. Yes. This entire time.
0: Yeah. You know, I the, think by the way, we should un we, we need to unveil the whole like. Blue glowing blades Swords glow thing blue in this battle, yes. right? Like yes. this is new technology yeah. that they've developed. I mean, because yeah. because Nick, I was thinking of that passage in The Hobbit, right? When Bilbo when Bilbo realizes that Sting glows for the first time, and he thinks yes. it it is it's quite fine to think that he has a blade from Gondolin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of take that line and sort of. Uh, lean into it a little bit, right? To say, like, yeah, like, Blades from Gondolin, like, that was... Now, the Feanorians, their technology is great, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the, like it, it's But no excellent.
2: glowing swords. No glowing right. swords. Well, yeah. the,
1: the Feanorians I, I always see is, like, the most disciplined soldiers mm-hmm. uh, the, are the Feanorians. They Like, they have this phenomenal heavy, uh, heavy infantry and heavy cavalry. Right. And they're just... Unstoppable. Every time that they that they show up, yeah. they're just obliterating anything that gets stuck between those two things.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, but the idea that the and of we we can we can talk about why the technology of the uh, the Gondolin room is is so advanced later. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that will be uh, fun actually. Yes. Yes.
0: But remember, we have like three seasons to have stuff happening in Gondolin where nothing yep. else is really occurring. So yep, yep, we'll yep. have plenty of opportunities to explore this.
1: Some, but in- somehow, somehow, somehow Morgoth fails to track down these 10,000 people when they make their way back to Gondolin. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because mm-hmm. they couldn't get through the fence of Sarek.
1: Because two guys were there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's the story we're telling.
1: Um, <laughs> well, it, but it The Eagles
2: in... helped. I'm sure there's going to be some, you know, myths yeah. of Almo helping. We'll, we'll make it work.
1: I, yeah. I'm, I'm put in mind of um, the line in Cyrano de Bergerac where he um, where somebody asks him, you know, why, why did they hire? Why did they send like, uh, you know, 45 guys to attack this one? This one dude and Cyrano de Bergerac says, "Ah, because he is a friend of mine." <laughs> 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 right. Can't, well, I mean, the other thing can't is, discount Courin.
0: <laughs> right. Can't discount Huron. I mean, but the other thing I'm I'm always mindful of too is like in battle stories, when you're describing the movements of armies, it always sounds like, you know, a dude taking a walk over a really short distance, when in fact, like. This would have been happening over like hours, or, you know. So, like, the whole thing of like, and then the gondolin left and the men of Serek and, and the, the men of Dorlomen turned. Like, the men of Dorlomen could well be fighting in the fens of Serek for like th- days, you know. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's uh, I mean, this could be you know, Thermopylae hip deep in the swamp, basically, you know, mm. is is like what the fens of Serek could be. Um, we've already kind of set it up you know in some, like the geography of the fens of siric mm-hmm. to some extent yep. in this way yeah, we keep um,
2: having every single battle happen in the fens of siric <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly
1: hey exactly. well this time this time they're going to have their backs to the fens because they can use those earthworks going the other direction
0: exactly yeah. exactly so yeah i mean it's uh but yeah so like when gondolin leaves I, I, again the whole description sounds like the battle of the fens of of, of yeah. like the niornith arnody it happens in a day right in mm. like one single day and it's not going to happen in one single day so like no way, you know so yeah so the 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 gondolindrum turning around and like you know, hightailing it off towards Gondolin while, you know, two dudes and a few other dudes with them hold hold off the armies and then they can't – nobody can catch up, you know, to the army of 10,000. It's not – I mean, again, they could have left a week ago,
1: <laughs> right? It's, it's a and, good thing that – it's a good thing that the head of the vampires got killed. I'm just saying.
0: It sure is. It sure is. Yeah. Though, again, we can have some uh, some eagle air support, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to that. But um, – yeah. Uh anyway so I I yeah there's there's there're definitely ways to to sort of manage that but um but okay so I, what is the proportion would you say population wise so when the easterlings come over they come all over or is it just the armies do they bring their families
2: we're going to need to work out that whole storyline okay because and it's we'll not just we talk one group about and yeah stuff the easterlings there. is okay. not a single unified group no so right. It can, they can come in two different batches. They could have very different motivations. They could get recruited by the elves to come over. Yep. Right.
1: Yep.
2: Sauron's yeah. obviously up to a lot over there. So things are yes. happening. Oh my
1: gosh. Okay. So, so what if. Okay. Is so this what? A if...
0: Next episode? Uh, yeah, uh, topic? yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> Look, see, uh, I'm don't just, forget, I'm being Marie. I'm being so disappointed. I, I appreciate that. So next that. episode, just to tell people, next episode we're already planning. We're going to talk about Sauron, what he does in the East, and Galadriel, and what's going on with her. Like those are the two. Mm-hmm. Those are the two big. And we talked about this last week briefly. Those are the two big storylines that we've got to start cracking open. Like we've now reached the like the the black hole portion of both of their stories in Tolkien's in Tolkien's legendarium, right? What on earth is Sauron okay. doing and what on earth is Galadriel doing? Like that's um not a black hole in the sense that there's nothing there, I guess, but there's conflicting things there.
1: Anyway, um so nobody yeah. let me forget about Galadriel falling right into Sauron's hands. Let me just let me Well, just...
0: no no problem. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Yeah,
2: Don't worry, there's there's that. the other option is that Galadriel is somehow involved with the Fanorian side of things this yep. season as well. Could well be. So well Yeah, we be. have we have things to discuss with what direction we put Galadriel in.
0: Yeah. This is me trying not even to think about it right now. But okay. anyway, but, so but but the point is with the Easterlings. So here's the reason I'm thinking because it's um I hadn't really thought that through in that way. That is I hadn't really thought through how big the army of the Easterlings really does have to be. So um we're gonna be suggesting, aren't we, that the population of the Easterlings is massively larger than the population of the Adine combined? Yes. Especially yeah. since um, the House of Beor has fallen on hard times already, right? Yeah.
2: Right. So the way we showed the three houses of the Adain come over, the first group was the very smallest. Um, the mm-hmm. House of Beor was like one little group of guys when we met them. Mm-hmm. And then the largest was the last group, which was, became the House of Hadar. But they were the Estolad people at the time. Yes. Um, so. We've shown that, like the first groups that made it over were the tiny groups, but yeah. the the larger groups move slower, so they hadn't gotten all the way, right, to the coast right. yet, and so it would make sense that the Easterlings would be the largest group yet, like by yep. a significant margin, yep, because they're coming hundreds of years after the original
1: group, and they're being well, pushed 100. out by some massive Morgoth worshiping. There's a whole storyline this empire out there in the east.
0: Yeah. Um, can I can I put in a request that we have somebody who is like a warlord whose imperial capital is at Bree? Oh no!
2: <laughs> I <laughs> like it. Uh, anyway. that'll <laughs> it'll it'll get you your Tom Bombadil cameo this season. Totally That's all I
0: got to that. Totally Tom Bombadil's gonna be easy uh, to work in here. Um, yeah. In fact, we can have him interact with one of a, with a real character mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, yeah. like, with Galadriel. Galadriel could visit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, but um, anyway. <clears throat> anyway. Okay. Okay. Um, this is distra- so uh, again. But well, I'm not trying to get too distracted and thinking about Easterwing plot lines, which will be great fun, but. Um, the reason I'm saying this again, I'm just, it's just, I'm, it's making me reimagine Beleriand and Northern Beleriand because Northern Beleriand is gonna like leading up to the near ninth is gonna be like overrun with Easterlings. I mean, it's gonna be chock full with Easterlings. Um, yeah, in order for them to have the size of army that they're gonna have to have, um,
2: there's a so. reason they were upset about getting stuffed in Dorloman afterwards, right. Mm. Like, right. everybody else who's offered Dorloman is like, wow, what a great place to live. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> right. The Easterlings were mad about it. So you have to assume that the House of Hador moving in was like, ah, oh, all this land. This is all wonderful. This we can... right. Yeah. <laughs> and the Easterlings are like, cramped. <laughs> so, right. so yeah, right. it's a very, very large group.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's just... Um... Yeah. So I kind of just talking through and imagining my way through that to kind of orient myself towards that. Cause I'd never really considered the question of how many Easterlings there were. But really, so if we, if
1: we, if we talk about, I mean, there could be like, there could be like a million people all told. I, like after huge. Yeah. A, like after the, the, um, I'm not talking about the fighting people. I'm talking about like just yeah. the entire population. Yeah. 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 I mean, and you, could, f- yeah. you could fit that many people easy on the um like just uh west of the mountains there. Um
2: there's a lot of space. Sure.
0: Sure. Um But still it Loughlin. would be it would be full. I mean, it would be yeah. full of folks oh, yeah. in ways that it never was. So, yeah. 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 It's a it's it's a very different thing. Okay.
1: Cool. So, um they could even drop some hints. The Feanorians would kind of be perfect people to drop hints about how, well, I mean, there won't be, won't be as many of them left after the battle. It will be fine.
2: <laughs> yeah. And speaking of, we are going to eventually have to plan, like, endgame things for some of these cultures. Yes. Um, so naturally, there's multiple groups of Easterlings. The ones who were faithful and didn't join in the rebellion, like, do they survive this battle if they do, where do they go? You know, we'll have to work on that. Rohan eventually.
0: Yes. I mean, right. Mm
2: -hmm. But so do they end up back over the mountains? Are they somewhere in Valerian for the rest of the story? Like, what are we doing with them? And then, um, also like the forest of Brothel. Yeah. After Turin's death, what happens to those folks? I mean, are there any of them going to survive to go to Numenor? Are we going to get rid of them in some other way? You know, just things to think about. Um, so yeah, we do have some end of Beleriand decisions to make eventually. For sure. For sure.
0: But yes, thinking about the trajectories of their cultures and um, yeah. 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 Um, awesome. That'll be great fun. Uh, so let's think about well, all right. I'm sorry. I'm looking at my list of storylines here. We talked about Gondolin to some extent. Yeah. Um, Not a lot of extent, though. So let's... Because Gondolin... If Huron and Huor are the most logical, like, sort of framing characters of the whole season... um, Turgon is the second most logical framing character for this season. So I don't want to undersell the importance of the Gondolin story. Because really... This is going to be... We got stuff with our, Arth- with Arthel, right? Um, we got stuff with Arthel and the Maeglen story, um, which we worked in. Aeol and such. Um, but the primary emphasis... I- I'm thinking about T- Turgon's story. Um, really, like, this the identity of Gondolin, the mission, like, you know, what is, what is, what is Turgon's current mission statement, you know, in Gondolin? Right. You right. Know, what I, stage is he at here, precisely?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how much we want to set up his decision to join the Near Knight or how much we want it to surprise people, but there should be some feeling of will he or won't he in the yeah. season, which means we need to be grappling with what is he trying to accomplish here? What is he doing? And, and how has the death of Arathel affected him? So, I think that Hearn and Huor can bring that out in him a bit. That was season you know... five, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, but we haven't really seen Gondolin in season six, so it was yeah. the last time we saw him. <laughs> was he the was trial mourning of vale, the... right? Right. So he was yeah. mourning the death of Arathel, and then Fingolfen dies, and. Then we see a little cameo when the eagles fly over Gondolin with Baron. Yeah, Alithian. the
0: burial. Yeah. 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 So
2: so we've had a few little glimpses of him. Yeah. But mostly we haven't seen him since the death of Hale.
0: No, that makes uh, good sense. Okay, so
2: this the primary story,
0: as far as gondolin itself was concerned, the primary story was Arathel's restlessness. <sighs> And her sense right. help me remember because I know we we kind of beefed Aradel and her storyline up a little bit, especially at the beginning. What she wanted was to contribute, right? Like we're <laughs> we're 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 going to waste here, right? We're right. hiding and doing nothing. We're 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 not contributing
2: to the team at she, all. That was her basic angle, right? She thought that Turgon had lost sight of his vision right. because right. he's like my mission statement from Almo was go make a safe place and keep the people safe and protected there. And he's like, cool, did that. (laughs) And she is of the opinion that the whole purpose of doing that was to be ready for when the time came. And she didn't think he was doing enough of preparing for that day or even acknowledging that that day would come because the focus seems so much on Gondolin And not on what was outside Gondolin. So that was the source of her restlessness.
0: This suggests that the primary Gondolin story of this season is Turgan coming over the course of the, you know, first half or whatever of the season to the conclusion, this is the day. The day has come. This mm-hmm. is, this is when we go for, this is what we've been preparing for. This has been the point. This is why Omo led us to this shelter because, you know, Arethel was impatient. He's not going to say this publicly, right? But Arda was impatient, but he has not forgotten her words, right? Um, right. And he realizes, yes, like there was a purpose. His absolute isolationism isn't going to happen until after the near knife, right?
2: Right. When this well, fails... I mean, he did tell Ael and Myglin that they were there forever now.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm not. But I'm not he's saying gonna let her Isolationism is wholly new. <laughs> I'm just saying right. the the idea. But he's letting of...
2: Hearn and Huar go. Yeah, yeah. So yes, you're right. The isolationism is not absolute at this time. Uh, after the near knife, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's quite.
0: It's quite stringent. dedicated to isolationism and only isolationism. Like, we're going to, we're just going to, now nothing else exists except Gondolin and our mission is now to thrive here and ignore the rest of the world. But that's not, but that's not his mission right now.
2: Right, right. So the idea is that this season we need to kind of explore his grappling with Arathel's ideas and figuring out where he stands on that. Um, Um, And I, I do think we'll want his actual arrival at the near ninth to be some level of, um, unexpected. Yeah. But, Oh, for sure. But it, there's always been a kind of a question in the story of how he knows, <laughs> like who invited well, him to Eagles that are handy that way. I they suppose, are handy, but, yeah. but like, it never says who reached out. Or, you know, found an eagle and was like, gee, if you could find my brother and tell him I'm about to go into this huge battle, that would be super appreciated. Like I know who? Diron. Oh. <laughs> Diron, okay. Last scene near Gondolin, yes, right? He's, encountering eagles. Dyron is friends of eagles now. we'll,
0: we'll go between there, right? Okay. Um uh, But yeah, but anyway, the point yeah, is yeah. we
2: could develop a story, right? I yeah, know where we, somebody yeah. Where someone tries to get news to Gondolin and, and doesn't know if it got through or not, and then Turgon shows up. So,
0: yeah. By the way, you know who developed the blue sword technology, right?
1: Mygwyn, obviously. Yeah, mm. with mm. with um, with the the hilt of Fingolfin's sword, which somehow found its way into his hand.
0: Yeah or whatever, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, oh, that no, could but, be a horror, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, so. Like, uh, I, I'm looking forward to the scene where we see um, where we see Miglen forging Sting. Uh,
2: love I love it. I I want <laughs> Sting to remain an anonymous little knife. Yeah. It's somewhere no, in Gondolin, no, and no, there's no, no. a thousand just like it, and that's, we have no yeah, idea which like one is Sting. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like it's it's like standard nobody said issue. that
1: he he only made one. He made lots of them. Yeah. And oh, okay, we, okay, fine. We, now, of course, when we see him making, happens to be Sting, but yeah, you know, fine. We, yeah,
2: yeah, that's fine. I just I want there to be an everyman character to Sting that is yeah, not right. true for all the other famous names. Yeah, yeah, right.
1: and so oh my gosh, so we've. We've okay. So the only thing we've seen of Sting up until this point has been the hilt sticking up out of Bilbo's pants when he's <laughs> back on his way back from uh-huh. the Lonely Mountain, right? Since right? he's in so, one yeah.
2: frame, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And so that's really interesting because, like, we'll we'll see it, and like everybody will have one, right? Right. But there'll be some people who are like, wait a minute. Hang on, pause that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. that would be fun. That would be fun. Yep. But
1: uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah so,
2: we, awesome. so we definitely have some. He, he, throw, learn yes, and- Phil,
1: he throws Sting into a heap of identical. Right. Knives, yeah.
0: He, exactly. We, we show him forging Sting uh, and, then, and then he tosses it onto a heap of identical knives. Just like it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. That
2: I'm fine with. Totally yep. fine with that. Yep.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh no anyway, no, I was just thinking that like my my MyGlin is the answer to one of the chief answers to why why and how has Gondolindrum technology increased. Yes. Improved. Yeah. Improved. Well Miglins. I there mean now.
2: it doesn't hurt that they've got some of the premier Noldor craftsmen there. Oh yeah, but, no, I mean like there's kind of awesomeness
0: already you know, a baseline there. But yeah.
2: um yeah, yeah. but Aeol had knowledge that the, the Noldor don't. So yep. Miglin yep. has a unique uh, perspective he can bring
0: absolutely and it also of course would help to show why anybody would um because we know that myglin is going to have a following too like he's mm-hmm. a henchman and such and there there's a good reason why he would have followers because he's right. awesome i mean there's much that is awesome about myglin we can't have myglin just be um you know <laughs> slimy nothing but slimy dude you know uh,
2: right that's kind of a boring story um mm-hmm. I don't think we're gonna redeem Myglin, but we can no, we can make him interesting. No, we just and, make
0: him great rather than like good, annoying. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, I mean, in fact, like it would be even fun in some ways to have Idril's take on Myglin seem like unfair. Deviant. Yeah, in some way. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, she's she like nobody else gets why she doesn't think Myglin is awesome
2: okay yes yeah, so i would like to see some Turgon, Myglin, israel interactions in this season to kind of establish mm-hmm. their baseline yeah before yep. we bring tour into to the picture totally. um we are going to add more characters to gondolin after the new knife mm-hmm. as Turgon's going to kind of clean up the battlefield and take people with him so <laughs> nice. that's how well no that that's how Rogren ends that's, up. that's in. how Rog gets there yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. we'll we'll be adding some people yep. later but I do think that seeing Turgen's mission, vision, shifting would yep. be a helpful part of
0: his story right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to be important. And also, I mean, it's – I mean, not that we have to go out of our way to make the Near Knife more crushing. Um, but in order to, uh, you know –
2: Hammer at home.
0: Yeah, to really – building up. The destiny of Gondolin, right? That like, this is the achievement of the destiny of Gondolin. The day has come, right? You know, that this is, this is when, you know, we fulfill our purpose. This is what we were, have been for all along. This is the great moment. And then, um, and then it fails, right? Or, or seems to fail in any case, like there's, um, which leads to the important question. What is actually, if they're wrong, about that. What is the main thing that they are meant to do? Like, what is, what is the, if we're, cause so, um, and this, by the way, I mean, I'm just going to say it, I think is a weakness in the published Silmarillion itself. Um, we've talked about this many times before that in the early versions of the Gondolin story, Turgon in particular was the destined overthrower of Morgoth. Like that was the point of Gondolin. Um, it fails still. Like so, and that makes Turgon's choice to reject the advice of Olmo, which was not run away but attack, right? Um, and the stuff that Olmo says to Tuor in the uh, in the novel, The Unfinished Tour story um, makes me think he's still toying with some of those ideas or like thinking, thinking about, you know, continuing and, de- and, and to, to develop some of those ideas. Um, but they're not in, um, they're not in the published text. They're not in the, the final versions that we have, which are still super early. Anyway, um, point is, when that goes away, Right. When Tolkien decides that Turgon's destiny is not, in fact, um, to like his calling, rather, is not, in fact, to, the calling which he fails to keep um, is not, in fact, to march out and attack Morgoth and defeat him. Um, what exactly is his mission? And when, like, so, or to, to, um, let me yeah. ask a question another way What does listening to Olmo accomplish? If he yeah. doesn't reject Omo, and they just pack up and leave, what, what, what 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 comes next? What happens next? So, where do they go? What do they
2: do? What do they accomplish? The, the one thing that Turgon is doing post nernith is sending ships to Valinor,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that's the part where he didn't give up. He he is totally isolationist, he's except not for that. Given up. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is that idea of, but there is some hope somewhere, even if it doesn't yes. seem to be in Beleriand. Mm. So. I think that – and the hope ends up being Arandil. So if they had gotten out, then they could have all gone down to the Havens and established the Havens earlier, and Turgon would be there with Círdan, and Turgon and Círdan could talk about sending ships and get that sorted out, and, you know, yeah, maybe Arandil yeah. could sail a little earlier. Um not much earlier the guy's only 20 some when he does so <laughs>
0: exactly right he's the, but, he's the, let's get let's get the seven-year-old about um yeah no i yeah. I, I agree i mean that's it, it seems to like i said it seems to me actually like a weakness in the
2: published <laughs> but story. i think what we see from almost warning is it's kind of a, a mercy like right hey if you don't something something yeah. really bad's about to happen there and i being your friend, I wanted to tell you so you would have get the chance to <laughs> get out, right? Yeah, so, like, yeah. the, the warning isn't necessarily going to save Beleriand or anything, but it would save right. Turgan right. and mm-hmm. Turgan's people mm-hmm. for a time. I mean, for you know, how long are they going to hang out at the Havens yeah. before Morgoth shows up? So, it's not a permanent solution or anything, but it is, it is an offer I, of mercy.
1: I'm rather surprised he doesn't show up before the war of wrath like like they were he had him he had him all he had to do was just come in there and show up
2: nope well morgoth never had a navy uh-huh so having ships till the end yeah yeah but uh having having ships does help and that's what we showed back in season three with sacking the yeah the, the towns on the coast is you can sack them all you want, that people just flee in their ships, wait until you leave, and then come back and build their town again. <laughs> and yeah. you, you don't really <clears throat> destroy anything. So the Isle of Balar isn't really a place Morgoth can easily get to.
1: Yeah, I guess.
0: Right. Sorry, I, like, I was laughing at auto-fla- Autoflagellator's comment. As a friend, I'm concerned you're loving too well the works of your own hands. Mm. Like it's some kind of intervention by Olmo <laughs> by <Yes>. here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, yeah. Just the... No, but
2: it... it this will end badly for you. Just thought right. you should know, which is
0: fine. But like it, okay. Anyway, but of course we did what. We, so what we did back in season five was to basically take elements of Turgon's original purpose mm. and and give it to Fingolfin. Yes, right. That that kind of picture, <clears throat> that kind of destiny, um, and.
1: So we were able to preserve that.
0: Right, some some portion of it. Now, of course, they weren't interpreting that right either. Like they also, None. their calendars were off there too, right? It was mm-hmm. not, in fact, the day. Um, but I just, I think, we don't have to solve this today, but I, I think that um, it's, there are two things that we need to, 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 to decide. One is, again how turgan's own understanding of the mission statement evolves over time um, yes. and how what the actual like purpose like what almost o- has had a, has a plan from day one right almost playing the long game with gondolin what's his plan we can say it's just preservation he's just like hey I like Turgan right. I want to give him a sweet pad and I want to and I want to you know protect him and his people hmm. But... I- I'm a little dissatisfied with that as the only answer to the question.
2: Well, I mean, the obvious answer is Arendel. So, I mean, he said, "Go build a city," and by the way, leave a suit of armor with these (laughs) specifications. There is a a plan, yeah, right there. Like it's it's clear that sending Tour was always part of almost plan. Yes, and and therefore Arendel was always part of almost plan. But, yeah, I think we, we do need to work out a little bit more about that. Um, because we, yeah. we discussed it back in Season 5, but, yeah, it might be time to revisit that. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, but the, as far as what is useful for tonight, um, thematically, uh, the idea that now's the time, if that's going to be part of the De Gondolin story, that could probably be the part of the Union of Mithra story mm-hmm. and the Heron and, and Hoor. It just... It all would pretty much add up to that because the two main elements of this season are that they need to form a union. So they all have to agree to work together on this. And that now is the time. Now the is the time. day has come. Yeah. yeah so if we want time. to lean into the day has come, like that. that... does
0: seem to be – because you mm. can hear in different voices and with different inflections, right? Turgon and Gondolin saying, the day has come. Mythros saying, dudes, the day has come, right? right? This is now is, you know, the 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 time is ripe. And Hurin saying, coming out from Gondolin, right, and saying, now is the time, i.e. before I die of old age, right? Yeah. Like, right? Now is the time, right? So, I mean, all Please of them and would agree Please and thank you very
1: much, yeah. Right, yeah.
0: right, exactly. All of them would agree on that. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure that's, I'm still not sure that's the theme though. Um, my, well, hang on, we'll come back to this. Let's talk about the dwarves mm-hmm. briefly. Um, because we don't have to, we don't have to, um,
2: yeah, no, to... I didn't mean to decide it more just to throw it on no, the no, table. No,
0: no, no, yeah, yeah, no, that's, but th- that's definitely a trend is clearly forming there. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that that's pretty clear. So with the, the story in Belagost, we care about this especially because, um, We are, um, (laughs) hey Dave, welcome. (laughs) Welcome. You made it. You made it. You made it. Um, uh, so we're, talk- we're going through different storylines. We've talked about Hurin and Huor, the Union of Madros, sort of the, the strategic elements there. We talked about the Easterlings a bit, though we're saving some of that for uh, next time. Um, and we were just talking about Gondolin. Um, so I was just transitioning to talking about the Dwarves of Belagost. Um, because obviously the, the, we know how the, where the Dwarves of Belagost story is going to come to right we have like one fixed point in the dwarves of Belagost story in this season and that is Azachal stabbing the uh you know glaurung uh from beneath so the 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 climactic fight between them and we've been setting up setting that up a little bit right with the dwarves and the dragon and the treasure right in that was 5 season 5 right um so you know that the uh dragon and the dwarves have a certain amount of conflicting interests, right? And are on some level kind of natural enemies. But it's kind of like the connection there is is, is we've started to establish a little bit of a connection, but it's, it's still pretty weak. Um, how do we want to build up to that like how do we how do we have like both the the recruiting of the dwarves as allies to the extent that they're going to march into battle which is a big deal i mean totally unprecedented even in the norn days we weren't getting this kind of collaboration between elves no and, and- not
2: since meet.
1: the the first battle under the stars. Denethor's
2: mm-hmm. battle, right? Right. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the real significant part of the story. Like, yes, obviously there's animosity between the dwarves and the dragon. Yeah. But the, the real issue is that the dwarves have for a long time decided, we can safely sit in our mountains and you all can fight that war and we will happily supply you with equipment. Right. So... You want to buy some weapons from us? We'll sell you weapons. You want right. to buy some armor from us? We'll sell you some armor. Uh, right. You want some help building the... some fortifications? We'll send out a crew to help you build yeah. some stone stuff. Yeah. Like, they're willing to help and they want to fight Morgoth, but they don't want to die over it. Right. It's right. never been to them their war.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: Their people weren't the targets. So and why would their they? People
0: aren't that threatened. Like no one has yeah. been invading underground yet. Again, the dragon. Exactly. Like we Could. can have them have a conversation to say, "What you know? That dragon really." was getting into Karanthir's treasure, right? That was, this is mm. clearly a thing with the dragon, like, cause it's the first dragon ever. So people don't know about dragons and treasure yet, but they've learned this now. And so there can be fears. Like if that dragon tried to come here, he could totally come in here. And if he came in mm. here, it would be bad.
1: Right. Well, you I mean, know? what's the the best offensive weapon against people hiding in caves is a flamethrower. And Morgoth has the biggest
0: well, and it's also like going after rabbits with a ferret, as well. Yeah. You know, like you you can't march your armies of orcs underground, but you could send a dragon down there,
2: right? You know. Yeah. And, yeah. So um, I, I think that the the dwarves have to come to the conclusion: this is our war. If we don't right. join in this fight, they'll be at our gate next.
0: And in particular, Belagost. And and mm-hmm. uh, again, I, and the, the day has come. The day has come. Yeah. The day has come. The day has come that, um, and theirs can be kind of secondary in the sense of like they see day coming for all the, the all the elves and they realize like okay, if we do nothing, like we're not guaranteed to just ride this out if we just supply weapons and hope for the best and let, you know well, them mind their own thing. Um, if Morgoth if it's wins clean. and the elves get wiped out, we will be in danger because the dragon's going to come.
1: Eventually. Right. If it's made clear to them. That Mythros is engaged in an all or nothing proposition,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: then it's like, okay, well, we—I mean, that's the, the the day has come. Like that's it, right? We're, you know, because it, once they're gone, eventually Margoth is going to come for us.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. So Nograd has not gotten to the conclusion that it's their fight yet, but I think Belagoth gets there this season and. Commits, yeah. Not just oh, we'll send some guys to help you out, but we're sending our full army, and the king is leading it, and all that. Yeah, right. And
0: the main difference, I but so apart from geography between Nagrod and Belagost, right? Mm Nagrod is so far away that they they still feel totally secure. Belagost, they're only.
2: I Belagost is a little further north, and Nograd's <laughs> a little further south, but it's not a significant difference it's, if you're, say, true. a dragon. <laughs> right, well, but what—that's uh, what
0: I was thinking—is contact with the dragon. The elves of yeah. Belagost have, like, they've true. The people in Nagrod are—they're still thinking orc armies. They're like, right? The orc armies try to get into our mountains. It's not going to happen. Right? right. And if right. it does, you know, we'll fight them in the tunnels, and it'll be ugly, but it will win. Um, but uh, um, but but the doors of Belgast are like, okay, no, there's a, the dragon is a difference maker. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Okay, so that that I think is probably enough. We do need who's our ambassador. To the dwarves. We need somebody to. There's gonna somebody that we've
1: been message. kind of grooming for this. Um, he was at Himring. I forget his name.
2: Oh, the dwarf? dwarf. Yeah. 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 I don't know if that we named him, but we might have. There was uh, a foreman who was helping Mydras put um, uh, secret tunnels under Himring. Mm-hmm. And he was present in Himring during. The dagger rod mm-hmm. so he kind of got to see battle firsthand and got stuck caught up in it and he would be a good spokesman for some of that stuff we also uh, managed to get ourselves to like everyman dwarves who yes. saw Glarung um in season six yes um they're very minor characters they were just two guys who were standing around and the dragon went by, but we can certainly bring them back and have them right. tell people about the dragon they saw. Like, we can use those characters as a random dwarf in the thick of things.
0: Or our dwarf ambassador could find them, could meet them, mm-hmm. and yeah. and then deploy them, basically. Right, right. As so, with testimony for the king. Would we yeah. have a, a primary elf contact?
2: I'm assuming that Mythros is going to be coordinating with Belagost because there's at least some friendship there. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. not sending Karanthir. Yeah. But yeah. he could send one of his other brothers. Like, it, you know, Maglar could be ambassador to Belagost if we wanted.
1: Thornly is the name in the script. Thornly, yeah. I don't know if he ever gets named, actually, but yeah. Right.
2: Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we have we have some characters we can work with. The Easterlings obviously are going to deal with Karanthir, but we don't necessarily have a role for Kellegorm and Curiffin in everything that's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem like the kind of guys who would just sit there. <laughs> right. So they're going to be doing something. Yeah, um, well, okay. So, so we need
0: we'll think about uh then yeah. is um is uh Amros going to make an appearance?
2: Yeah, he's going to fight in the battle.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So he's on board somehow eventually. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um Okay. All right. Um is there any do we have the dwarf connection, the dwarf alliance? Is that spontaneous? Like one day um mythros finds himself surprised and delighted to find the dwarf ambassador showing up and saying we're in or is there going to be no, a brainwave? is, he, is there going to be an be elf story advocate where who's going to reach out to him to them and
1: he, yeah he, he it's going to have to be a part of his story mm-hmm. um to um because otherwise it's not going to be as valuable right right
2: yeah and free free
1: armies aren't valuable
2: the the general idea is that
1: especially if they're green
2: there's uh some political machinations going on this season Mm -hmm. and some of them are going to fail like obviously doriath is not exactly going to get on board with the let's attack morgoth situation but beleg and Mablung are going to show up Mm -hmm. so even though Doriath's not on board. Like, there's still a story there. There's Why this story do there. you guys go? Yeah. Do they show up with the people for Brethel and they're just tagging along with the men? You know, I don't know. Who knows? We'll come up with something. But I I so I'm thinking
0: where are we in since well, we don't need to talk too much about Nagarthrond and Doriath because those are comparatively minor stories in the season. But just for a moment, um, to what extent is there a division in either one of those places? And I'm inclined to think, like, when last we left Thingol, he was recovering as a character, right? Mm. You know, he, he he'd learned his lesson. He he'd reached his, <clears throat> you know, nadir with the sending Baron to his death and imprisoning his daughter. But by the end, he was getting with it more. Right, mm-hmm. um, and so how do asked, we
1: backslide them?
0: Well, or do we quickly? That's what I'm thinking. Like it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there can be perfectly good reasons. I mean, like Melian could be, you know, everyone's like the day has come, and Melian could be like, actually, no, it hasn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and Thingle's like, we actually think the day has not come, and y'all are wrong, and nobody listens to them. Right. Yeah. Um,
2: and that that would be a non-terrible thing for Thingle to do, right? Yes. Yes, I and mean it's be- still and not a and great look. Are like great.
0: Like, yeah, it's not going to yeah. anything for his popularity among the Noldor,
2: right? But no, but I mean, I'm not. I don't think friendship with the Noldor is his main goal it's, at this it's, point. No,
0: it's it's not. It's not. It's, it's, his self esteem isn't really
1: invested in that. I agree. He's not wildly interested in ingratiating himself with anyone. No, no. Um,
2: uh, what, as far I, as oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to say like there can be some language thrown his way about the possession of the simril like um, hey um, so we're going to do this thing you would do well to join us and while you're at it return the (laughs) simril that's right that would be a good thing for you to do while you're joining our armies on the field of battle
0: I could see there being some tension in both directions there as, of course, he will certainly have not forgotten the memorable letter from Kelligorm and Curafin, right, right. Um, when they were holding his daughter hostage. so um, Which
1: which only uh, serves to undermine this letter, which is, in fact, important and not entirely in the wrong in the same yeah. way.
0: Right. Not, not in the same way, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we can give him mixed reasons, like not just he's not just being a jerk. Refusing to cooperate. Um, right. But he needn't be a hero either. Um, right. uh, uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. I think that we don't want to make him a jerk all over again. We just did that story with him. Mm. But right. he's still single. I mean, we don't have he's to change thingle. who he is.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I kind of I kind of like this, the idea. Because of the way which, like, Beleg and Mablung only, like, two people go they would have to go in defiance of the king or and like if, it would be weird even for like not even one single one like they're captains like none of their followers go with them either like so but if the two of them were on some kind of like diplomatic journey in Brethil, mm. and we're just like hey we'll go like because they're elves like yeah this will be gone for a, a you know a year or something <clears throat> they'll never miss us at home right well so we'll we'll just you know we'll tag along um it gives them a great opportunity to go into a a cause which they might believe in more, or they might be willing Mm. to support more um, than Thingol, but it's not an act of defiance on their part, because they're not there,
1: right? I mean, it it also wouldn't be completely unreasonable for them to kind of be like, oh, King, you know, like, we think this is really important, Um, you know, and we understand your reasons for not wanting to participate um, but uh, we, we kind of feel like we need to, and he's like, "Fine, fine, just do it. go. I, mm-hmm. I don't care," you mm-hmm. know. Um, try not to die, please.
2: Yeah, I just I feel like there, we're going to have to tell that story of how do <laughs> the two of them end up at the battle when Single yeah. is very adamantly not
0: mm. on yeah. board. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and I, then I it's,
2: kind of like the I kind of like the field trip uh, explanation. Yeah. Mm. But um, as far as Nargathron goes. I think the animosity towards the Fanoreans plays a large role in Oritzreth's decision. Mm -hmm. And the fear that Kurifin put into the people of Nargothrond of, you better keep it secret, keep it safe, or else you're all going to die. Like, they took that to heart. (laughs) So Nargothrond is also on lockdown. And, Mm. you know, not quite gondolin levels, but pretty close. And, yes, therefore, Gwinder's point of view of, but my brother died, well, died, was captured in the Dagar Vragalak, and I fought alongside Finrod. Like, he has these personal reasons to want to join a fight and to personally, you know, kill Morgoth, um, <laughs> yeah. which is going to work out super great for him. But Yep, yep. But I think in Nargothrond, we mostly want to follow Gwyndor's story this season. Yes. I don't think we really Complain. care what Oradreth thinks. Like, he's there. We'll we'll have him as a minor character in Gwyndor's story.
0: <laughs> right. But the, the main thing that we need to... Th- so I see two complications there. Mm-hmm. Well, not... Cons- well, Two 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 elements. One, this is the beginning of the Oradreth story that's going to culminate in him becoming Turg- you know, Turin's puppy dog. Right? So, mm-hmm. like we have to make sure this is going to map well with the whole trajectory of or character characters. We've been developing it. True. So, um, so that's that. So I I agree. He doesn't have to be the focus. We don't have to really emphasize that, but, but we need what he's doing and what his policy is, is going to be relevant. And so we need to make Sure. sure that's going to fit. The second element that I see is that, um, uh, Oh, the other folks, um um Gilgalad right what are they up to where are they why aren't they you know so th- just some explanation of why sure. they're not into it um and and what's going on there because just their their choice is going to be again relevant for how we see their characters continuing to True. develop
2: for later on um the main reason i picked gwendor is one he goes oh, yeah, to join no, the fight. I absolutely agree and about Gwyndor. Yeah, secondly, completely. we need to tell the story of him and completely. this season. Absolutely. So, I figured if he's Which our point of view character, makes the Gilgalad in connection Nargothan, even more important. Right, cuz that's her brother. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we'll we'll definitely have Gilgalad and Oradrath and Fin and um Finduilis and um Gilgalad all be characters within yeah. that story um in some form.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's um but I certainly agree. The focus is absolutely on Gwyndor's, uh, on Gwendo's story. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. So theme, I really love the suggestion though. I have totally forgotten who made it of hope being the theme that felt really right to me. And it fits with all this, the day has come stuff that we're talking about. Right. Um, I love what, what, what I was won over by was the observation that the season begins with an upswelling of um, umdir. We can do it, everybody, right? Believe in the cause. If we all band together, we can make it happen. Who's with me, right? That's how we begin with Omdir, Like right? That's all deer, 100% Omdir, right? Mm-hmm. And it ends with one of the most famous uh, statements of Estelle in the Legendarium, right? With the day shall, they come, shall again. come again. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so not to mention the fact that um, it just seems entirely delightful to me to have the focus be on hope in the t- season of <laughs> <laughs> the numbered no idiot right, right.
2: unnumbered <laughs> tears
0: but hope <laughs> there's something that really appeals to me about uh, um you know telling the story of unnumbered tears um in a way which is the story of hope right um and that's doesn't it's not at all to say that it undermines it right like yeah. the whole point is i mean the amdeer all turns out to be wrong um it isn't the day, the day has not actually come, and they're not going mm. to destroy Morgoth, and they're not going to win. Um, so, they're in 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 many, most ways, their Umdir is going to deceive them, right? Um, yeah. And, um, but, uh, so, it's not as like. Uh, sort of perverse as it might sound to say like, no, but we're going to make it hopeful. It's, no, the, the whole point is to understand, huh. you know, kind of the context of all this, right? To, 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 to frame what is hope exactly. Um, and what does that mean? You know, Nick, you were kind of touching on this earlier when you were talking about, um, you know, it may not be, I may not win, Right. It may not. It doesn't mean things are going to go well. It doesn't mean I'm going to survive. Right. Um, this, of course, is the realization that Sam has on the stairs of Kira right? right. That like we don't know whether we're in a happy ending or sad ending story. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's not what matters. Right. What- well,
1: and and Galadriel Damn. has already acknowledged that she's fighting the long defeat. Yeah. That nothing that she does is going to actually
0: Last. win them
1: yeah. what yeah. they're what they're striving for
0: yeah yeah um
2: yeah so the suggestion of the hope with specifically the Amdor, amdir versus estelle versions of it uh that was arnorian, arnorian. Yeah. what is the name i guess i should have gotten the name right before i said it yeah arnorian Arnorian, yes, <laughs> yeah, okay. some, some yeah. of Arnor, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> whatever that was. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, that, that, that I thought that was that was that was a brilliant suggestion, right. and that feels to me like it pulls all these other things together, right? Um, right. In a way that I that I, none of the other suggestions that I saw, like the idea of you know unity and coming together, that's obviously going to be happening. Like that's going to be a major thing, but the reason that I like hope better than that one as a theme is that again, in the end, the conclusion of like, there's been, it's not like we're trying to teach moral lessons through these seasons. Right. But, but there's been a kind of like, um, take home at the end of the day. Right. Like we learned something about rebellion in season three. Right. We learned something about change in season five and what, your relation. what what are like constructive and destructive relationships to change right um you know we learn something about reconciliation and uh, you know what it means and 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 how it happens and, and and why it's important um in in season 4 um i would hate to think that the moral of season 7 if we're talking about unity and togetherness is in the end it's pointless, right? (laughs) It's all going to fail. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, because that's kind of where, where I feel like that theme would leave us at the end of this, you know, at the end point that we've chosen for this story. But that, again, the moment of Estelle at the end really changes without in any way undermining the, the horror and the grief and the sadness of the actual event. Um, you know, to, to, to come down at the end to day shall come again. And, um, you know, I agree with, um, somebody was talking about this, that like, you know, oh yeah. Um, uh, Honor was talking about this. Um, uh, GD Towering was talking about this, um, that like we, should actually use that phrase, like we, you know, use that phrase in Elvish to again con- to continue the play on the idea of the day coming, right? Um, uh, and in a sense, if everyone is saying the day is the day is coming or the day has come, right? It actually adds a new layer of depth to the famous declaration, "Day shall come again." Right. Um, now we hear that in a completely different way. Right. We re- like the day had not come, but they weren't just wrong. Right. Day is coming. It, this wasn't it. Right. But like the way it changes the meaning of the word day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it uh, it still insists in, on on hope, even though, again, the amdir has failed. Right. This wasn't the day and it hasn't worked. Um, and yet it doesn't change the fact that day will in fact come again. Um, yeah. Anyway, there's just, I think there's so much to to love about that. And I, I, so it's, it's, it's where it, it's where it ends us that I, that I really love about that theme.
2: Yeah. I, I think that it keeps the story of the Nirnith one of Tolkien's stories mm-hmm. because his stories are very much about hope and sure. This isn't, a great place to end and things are not going to go well for her or anyone in his family but you know don't worry tour is coming
0: (laughs) yeah 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 no exactly I mean it's and it's it's something that I think I think there are a lot of people who would say Tolkien stories are like hope is one of the most important things about Tolkien stories but I think that Many people who say that might have an oversimplistic view of what that means, you know, and so to kind of there's got to the... be
2: real darkness yes. in them yes. to have actual stakes to be hopeful yeah. about. Yeah,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, this to me, this is the main um, the case study of Sam and his relationship with hope over the course of the whole progress of the Lord of the Rings is I mean to me that's the most important case study of hope. Um yes. most complex and 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 um hard hitting in its way. Um but anyway, so yeah I think that um yeah it's not like in the near ninth Arnoidiad that you find hope, but it's despite the near ninth But you have you have to have the near ninth Arnoidiad and then still be declaring the day will come again um, at the end of it um, as you're being captured and hauled off to Morgoth. Um, then you you get what hope means in Tolkien's world, right? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And this, again, you, know, you think about the the, the the references to, fo- to 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 hope and despair in the Council of Elrond, right? You think about Denethor and you know hope on then, right? And the the, the conversations with Gandalf there, um, where Denethor is mocking not only what he believes to be merely Gandalf's umdir, um, you know his hope that things will pan out well, right? But what Denethor most likely believes. He knows, but Gandalf does not yet know, has been disproven, right? He believes, you know, he's, um, I totally believe uh, Mike Drought's theory that uh, Denethor saw Frodo in the Tower of Cirith Ungol, um, you know, naked prisoner Frodo in the Tower of Cirith Ungol in the Palantir. Um, and so he thinks he has information Gandalf does not have that Gandalf's hope has already been, has already failed. Um, as he says as denethor says to to to, to gandalf right so um anyway I, I, so all, all these things all these things are involved in um in a, but of course gandalf's gandalf's hope is not that right it never was that we saw that from the council of elrond we see it again um in his response to denethor so um and then what he gandalf then goes on to urge in the you know the the last debate of the captains Anyway, so just—it it is a hugely important theme, um, and it's one that we could pick up again uh, in other places, uh, potentially. But I, I think it would be really, really fun um, to bring the concept of hope together with the concept of the near knife. Um, I was thinking that from the beginning. I wanted to go through the storylines like, together because I wanted to kind of test it out. To, you know as i was kind of thinking about it all the way through um and i think i was i have come to the end thinking still thinking that that would be pretty awesome um you guys think that would work
1: i do yeah okay. i do it, it will have to be carefully handled near the end you don't like leave the audience thinking. But, but but they lost. They you lost. Know, like,
0: and they lost like horribly and completely. Right, right. Yes. And
1: I don't I mean the 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 writing of the the story is written lends itself to not have that be a problem. It just yeah. is something an unskilled uh an unskilled hand might uh
2: bot that. Yeah. Yes, yes yeah yeah I, it could
1: I, feel muddy mm-hmm,
2: yeah mm-hmm. but I, I do think it'll work um for the type of story we want to be telling and avoid the pitfalls of telling a story where they fail yeah because yeah. they do but that's not what we want to tell the story about and um i i think that we'll want to pick a midpoint to the season then yes that really highlights the type of hope that we want to see in the near night. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is going to be a little tricky to pull off.
0: Yeah, it because... will. It will. I, I, so GD Towering was just saying, we don't want the take away from the season being, wow, they were all dumb to have hope. Right. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. which it could look that way. Right. It could look. Yeah. I
1: mean, so, you know, it might be interesting as if Azaghal is kind of the. By the middle, like in preparation for the battle, kind of the voice of, look, it's become very clear to me that this is what we're supposed to do. Whether it's going to work or not doesn't actually have any bearing on that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I, okay. So was what, what the the last thing, and I, we're kind of out of time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing we were going to oh. talk about was the turning point in the middle. I don't have a good candidate for this. And here's why this is a general problem, but I think we can pick this up later on. And my general problem is I don't, um, I have very little sense of what's happening in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. We've got battle at the end. We've got Gondolin at the beginning. And then I feel like we've got this like mushy middle in which we have Bunches and bunches of people having lots of conversations with each other, right? And very little in the way of actually anything happening. Um, so
2: there are at least a few things happening. Right. Um, so we already know what Heron's family story is, right? With his, we're going to get the plague.
0: Uh, we're going to get the death of his father, the death of Lilith, right?
2: Right, and mar- yeah, his marriage to and Everything So his we have his story. Yeah. We've got, um, um. In Nargathrond we have a romance story to tell as well with Gwyndor. Yep. And um, with the dwarves, it's a new alliance that mm-hmm. is going steps beyond what it had before. So there's a lot of relationship building in of various types. You know, political relationship building and personal relationship building. And I, I know that's just a lot of people talking, but at the same time, I, I feel right. like I, it, it I, I'm also... I'm not trying to
0: slide it. I'm just... Yeah. I don't see like it was easy to choose the middle point last season
2: right, right? so mean, the fall of Tongarhath, yeah
0: yeah i mean the overthrow of sauron really presented itself very obviously right um and there have been several things like that you know that have been really clear um but here's here's what i'm thinking i don't want to try to pick one right now
2: right you want to know what's going to be in there
0: <laughs> yeah i want i think it'll be easier once we start Laying out episodes. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Sorry. Um, But I also think that um, we got to figure out what's going on with Sauron and Galadriel as well. Um, And that might... I'm wondering if the turning point might be Sauron and Galadriel related, actually. Potentially. Um, Yeah. uh, If I had to say something right now, like if I was forced to choose tonight... I would say the arrival of the Easterlings, the Easterlings crossed the mountains. Um, That's like the game changing arrival of the Easterlings. Um, But since we're going to be connecting that with at least Sauron and possibly also go Adriel storylines, I kind of want to wait. I I don't even want to like put a flag in that, you know, uh, or like, you know, d- drive a flag in there uh, because it might change significantly, but um, yeah. Oh, hang on, Nick, Here, not hearing you.
1: Yeah. We sh- it, we also should decide exactly how many episodes the battle proper is going mm-hmm. to occupy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, Cause maybe it, It opens in an episode and then continues on for a couple more or whatever it is that we decide Um, because that will kind of that'll give us a much clearer idea of the shape of the season Um, because once we've made that decision then we'll kind of know what needs to be happening around the episode 7 episode 8 um yep. point in the yep.
0: season agreed agreed um i um yes i have some thoughts about that but we can but that's that's a later discussion um and uh quick question can somebody yeah. remind me how, how do we handle the arrival of the men if we do your easterlings idea is there an opportunity to do like a kind of a a um, a callback or a uh, like a sort of
2: a uh, like a kind of a mirrored moment. Well, do you mean like the first men into Beleriand? Yes. Uh-huh. So that was the uh, House of Beor, uh, marching over the mountains. Finrod and, and then the harp. Sing- yeah, singing so. the song about the light in the west. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So could we do could we do something like a sinister version of that with the Easterlings? <laughs> I mean, but do we need it to be sinister? Cuz right. yeah, yeah, their arrival is well, pretty hopeful for the story. It That's true.
1: It depends upon how clever we want to be with it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: obviously we want to be extremely clever. Right. Then like, it should be no. a because, hopeful
2: moment to have arrived. Because arrive.
1: you, <laughs> Yeah, but if you do it if you do it correctly, then anybody watching it in hindsight would go, "Oh, obviously okay, uh, they we we should have known they were the bad guys because Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. people okay. who who but, watched yeah, I, frozen
1: I, and were shocked to find that Hans was the bad guy. Yeah, right. Spoiler yeah. alert. Right. Yeah. So we
0: don't want to do Sinister. Yeah. Yeah. No, but 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 I agree that thinking about that relationship um uh especially since again the text gives the vague sense that um Mithros doesn't explicitly like compare himself to Finrod or anything, right? But like that Mythros is like, okay, Finrod had the right idea in befriending these humans. Um I can do it too. Like hey, look, there's some more humans. I'm going to go I'm going to go run the Finrod playbook, right, with these with these humans. And so the idea that there is even perhaps in Mathros's own mind an overt uh, you know, a parallel uh, there. Um I think that that's that's an important thing to be thinking about that would be really fun yeah. to play with
2: cuz yeah it's it's kind of a significant part of season 5 which groups of elves befriend and yes. form relationships with the men and obviously finrod wins the everything on that but yes. fingon's not so bad either right fingon's relationship with hador is pretty significantly good and he's obviously going to follow that up with Heron as well so, and even Karanthir
0: came around.
2: Yeah, Karanthir noticed after the fact that Halas' group was pretty cool, um, <laughs> right. even though That's she right. wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, right. So yeah, so like, and it's the Feanorians who drop the ball. They don't yeah. make enduring relationships with any significant groups of humans. Karanthir notices Haleth and Amlok personally right. goes and swears allegiance to uh, mytheros So, you know, Mithras has... One guy and his family <laughs> oh,
1: there, there were, we gotta there remember more they they there were more
2: does there were ha-
1: does yeah. he
0: have he have. does he still have like his like the descendants of Amlak should still be around yeah right?
2: they they yeah. were at the dagger Bragalak in himory so yeah. some of them died there but um yeah. there should yeah. be some left yeah that would be that'll be an interesting cultural thing, actually. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. The, we, we yeah, can the, think about the time that between these two battles is eighteen years, right? Because it's four fifty five oh, right. to four seventy two. Yeah. So we're talking at most a generation, right? So right. yeah, yeah.
0: There. Okay. Okay. All right. So we'll. Pause the mid-season turn question until we come to see the shape of the middle of the season more clearly. Um, sure. And I really think that's going to happen bad. Well, certainly we're going to need – we don't even have all the raw materials yet because we don't have the full Sauron and Galadriel story. Um, um, so we'll wait until we start doing our outline to um, – uh, I think to sort of see about that. So for next time – Next time, we're going to discuss Sauron and Galadriel. So if people want for homework to uh, reread the Galadriel and Celeborn chapter of Unfinished Tales to remember the things that, um, you know, the different stuff, the way Tolkien's thoughts about Galadriel were changing over time after he invented her, which he didn't do until he got there uh, in The Lord of the Rings. Um, and so the different ways in which he was imagining retconning her character back into the legendarium Um. And therefore, what this what this could mean, and what could be happening here, um, and then Sauron. Of course, we're starting. We, we're entering the black hole period, uh, in which we have no data whatsoever about what Sauron was up to. Um, but we can't. Um, we don't want him to be doing nothing. So those are the two. And so, in the context of this discussion, we're going to have to be having. We're going to have to be thinking in long term questions. And the other thing that I want to talk about in this context that we started kind of flirting with today but we didn't really settle down with it um, is the cultures of the Easterlings. Like how many peoples are we talking about? Where are they from? Um, what do they do? I already mentioned I want there to be, I want Bree to be like the capital of a wide-flung empire of of humans. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, that's, I, I totally want that. Um uh, but because you know debris is already there, right? Like we know debris is already there. So um, anyway, we'll 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 see about how we want to how we want. But we do have to think, Marie, as you were saying about the future trajectory of these cultures, right? Um, some of them, like the Easterlings of Loman, can kind of sink into the ocean and be more or less lost. Um, But we know that some of them are going to end up being the Rohirrim, and presumably others are going to survive as well. In fact, I don't see any reason why the Easterlings that we introduce in this season could not basically be the ancestors of literally every people group we meet in the Third Age. I mean, absolutely all of them, really. Um, Even the Haradrim. Uh, theoretically, sure. you know, could yeah. could be the descendants of people who fled back into the east after um, after this.
1: Uh, okay, so this distinction I've only ever seen in uh, the the decipher role playing game uh, for Lord of the Rings, and that being that they're essentially the middlemen, like they're, right. not the Dunedain, and, and, uh, they're not the Dúnedain, and they're not the. The wild men, or anything like that, but they are—they are the middlemen.
0: Yes, Um, yes, and it's also—you know—it's also time to start thinking about that we never have. Google
2: men, the woeses, absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, Um, yeah. Because we got to, we got, we got to bring, we got to bring the druidine um you know it's time for it's time for it's time to import drugs uh into uh into Dorloman yeah into Beleriand. yeah Dorloman they need to be in Brethel especially Brethel they were they that's what uh-huh. we know most about them is that they were yeah. friendly with the with the people of Brethel so yeah time for time for time for drugs uh as well um but um anyway so Yes, much to think about. And all of these things, I think, are relevant to our conversation next time. Um, So, all right, very good. Lots of stuff to think about that next time in question will be Thursday, October 19th um, at our normal time. So uh, we, in fact, are so far (laughs) looking to be three for three and maintaining our two-week schedule here in Season 7. We'll see what happens. All right. Thanks, everybody. Fun discussion. I uh, uh, am loving how this is shaping up, and I think we have uh, a a pretty compelling overall story uh, working here. So uh, thanks, everybody who is listening. Thanks, uh, 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 y'all. Thanks, Marie and Nick and Dave, for your discussion and your help here this evening. And we will say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.